you have your Bibles, and we encourage you to bring your Bibles to church these days, turn to the book of Luke. I'm a man obsessed with Luke. And uh, we're just going kind of a verse-by-verse study of this book, bringing out kingdom principles as we go along. And I'm actually going to preach out of the same section of Scripture I preached out of the last two times I preached, uh, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 29 through 38. And this will be our last swing at this. It's so interesting because, honestly, when I first read this section, I was thinking, what is preachable here? It's like, it seems kind of dry. Uh, but as you hover on, this is a, don't read the, the word like you read the newspaper. Uh, hover on it, savor it, chew on it. The, word, the Bible says, tells us to meditate on his word. The, the concept of meditation is you chew on something over and over again. You turn it over and over. You look at it from different angles. And so that's kind of what we're doing here as a community with, with this word. So this is my third pass at uh, this section of Scripture. I'm reading from the TNIV version. Luke chapter 1, verse 29 through 38. And I want to entitle this, uh, Already But Not Yet. Already But Not Yet. I could have entitled it, The Realized Eschatology of the New Testament, but I thought, Already But Not Yet might be a little simpler. Mary was greatly troubled at Gabriel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How is that going to happen, Mary asked the angel. I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your, co- your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here as the kingdom is about to be inaugurated. For no word from God will fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. The verses I want to sort of focus our attention on here are verses 32 and 33 where it says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. David was the the quintessential king of Israel. He was uh, the military political leader that they always look back to, and they look for a time when one like David, a son of David, a king like David, a military mighty conquering person would come. And so here the, Gabriel promises that Jesus will occupy the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, I want to pray for the message. Can I get some people around the auditorium that will keep me covered in prayer as I'm preaching? All right, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, just bring life to these words here. Uh, you're the giver of life and you're the only one who is. And uh, so, God, we just need, we ask, we implore you to infuse this word with your life, that kingdom-building life, that, 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 that loving life, that passionate life, that authoritative life. And God, use it to, to really cause us to leave here different than we came. Here in the next 40 minutes, God, 
energize your word and impact our hearts and impact our minds and impact our lives for the work of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Here's the question I want to ask this morning. Was Gabriel telling the truth when he promised Mary that Jesus would reign, that his kingdom would never end, that he'd reign over the house of Jacob, which is really, from a Jewish perspective, sort of a microcosm of the world, that he would be this world ruler like David. Was he telling the truth? Now, we want to say, of course he was, but the question I'm asking is this. Why, if that is true, why does it not look like that? Why is the world still rather screwed up? If, in fact, you get the impression when you read this passage, you know, if you were Mary, you'd think, okay, here's the program. I'm going to give birth to this child, and then when he grows up, he's going to reign as, as King David did, and it's going to happen right away. Well, here we are 2,000 years later, and, I, and uh, at least most of the time, it doesn't seem like he's reigning like David. What makes this even worse is that there are problems, uh, there are passages that suggest that this has already been accomplished. He is already reigning. He's already victorious. He's already conquered the devil. He's already conquered sin, death, and the grave. It's already happened. For example, it says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, here's one of many passages that speak in this way. It says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The right hand is just the, the, the expression for authority and power. He's reigning in power. He's been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that can be invoked, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So he's conquered all of his enemies. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But the question is this, if God fills everything in every way already, if Christ is reigning already, if he's seated far above all principalities and powers already, if all opposition has been defeated, if all evil has been defeated, why is the world so screwed up? How do we make sense out of that? It's particularly important to me right now because I'm coming off of a time, you go through periods like this, don't you? A couple weeks that have been really rough, just just nasty. Two weeks ago, it started two weeks ago. I'll, I'll give you a little slice of, of, of what's been going on. It makes you really ask the question, what does it mean to say that Christ fills everything in every way? Uh, it started with my, my daughter and her, her, her husband, my son-in-law, bought this precious, precious little puppy. Cutest, cutest dog you've ever seen in your life. I'm, I'm, this little Maltese is so Oh, just a little furball. Had this cute personality. It was so cuddly and friendly. And oh, he's just adorable. And they fell in love with this dog. And for six weeks, they just loved this dog like it was a child. I mean, they got a photo album of this dog, you know. And they're always sending us, you know, by email, a new picture of the dog and a new report. Oh, you know what Tucker did today? And it was really cute. And then a couple weeks ago, the dog started having a quivering jaw. All day long, its jaw would be kind of quivering. And then its leg began to quiver. Um, and it was getting worse and worse. And so my daughter and son-in-law, Alicia and Tim, uh, started going to different doctors and trying different medications. Uh, they actually put a lot of money into trying to find out what's wrong with this dog. And finally, a week ago, Wednesday, we were sitting in the University of Minnesota, my wife and I and Alicia, with this precious little dog, which is shaking. It just breaks your heart to see this cute little dog, you know, and now its back leg was starting to shake. 
And we're sitting in this veterinarian hospital, and the, the doctor said, I'm sorry, but your dog has distemper. And it had gotten distemper shots, but I guess there's a certain percentage of dogs that can get it anyway. I, I, don't, know, I don't know much about veterinarian medicine. The doctor said, well, there's a medication we can give you that maybe will, you can't, there's no cure for this. It's like a virus that gets in the central nervous system and just torments dogs. Demonic viruses. <laughs> and, um, uh, but there's some medication that can minimize the symptoms and about 5% of dogs actually can live a life uh, on this kind of medication. That's never an ideal life, but you know, you'd have to put them to sleep. But 95% of the cases, you have to put, put, put the dog to sleep. And we're just being crushed by this, just crushed. I mean, for three hours, we're in this doctor's office just crying uh, because it looks like we're going to put this this dog to sleep. And we prayed over the dog, and we tried the medicine, uh, but the doctor said you'll know in a day if it's going to work or not. And the next day, the dog was much worse than it was before. Uh, it was just a very, very painful time. I know on the, uh, on the, you know, the, the painometer of the world, it maybe doesn't make that high, but it, 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 when it's your daughter, <laughs> it, it, it just breaks your heart. My wife and I were exhausted. We got home, uh, and my daughter had been up all night because she, this dog was crying because uh, it couldn't sleep because of this distemper. But we got home from the veterinarian hospital, and there's a message on the phone, and Shelly's dad had been rushed to the hospital. So we run down to the hospital, and... Um, her dad's in a world of pain. He's got lung cancer, but chemotherapy had pretty much stabilized the lung cancer, and, and they were rather optimistic about uh, you know, him at least living a couple more quality years. That wasn't the problem. Uh, he had gotten some kind of an infection, and he's just been through chemotherapy, so he didn't have the white blood cells to effectively fight this, this complication, this infection that he had. Um, he was fine in the morning, and then he was eating lunch with some friends, and all of a sudden he began to come down with a fever, and he began to shake, and then he began to have this incredible pain in his gut, and now he's in the hospital. They couldn't give him pain medication because they weren't sure what was wrong, and there's all sorts of complications because of his uh, chemotherapy. And so he's in a world of pain. For hours we have to sit there while the guy is just agonizing. He, he, he's not the type to complain at all, but you can just see in a, that he's, he's, he's delirious. At one point, he was like pulling, you know, IVs out of him and stuff because he's just, he's, he's just racked with pain. And it turns out that because of the chemotherapy, the, it, it caused like a bowel obstruction, which led to an infection, which led, led to a, a, perme, a, a permutation or a, a lesion in his intestinal walls, which led to a, they call it, I guess, a septic infection. And, and, and it got into his system, and he didn't have enough white blood cells to fight it. And so we took him in the hospital at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and by, new, by, by midnight, the doctor said, you know, we're going to lose him. We can't, uh, uh, there's nothing we can do for him. And our, we recommend that we just start medicating him for comfort. Uh, and the, oh, the, 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 the sadness of this, it happened suddenly, and it was just... So we had all the family there, my, my, my wife and all the extended family. We called uh, Shelly's sister in California, and she flew out. Uh, right then caught a plane to, to get out there. And at 6.05 in the morning, now 18 hours later, uh, he died. My, my, my daughter, with, who had just had to put her dog to sleep, was there. Uh, and it was just a world of pain, just a world of pain. So we then have to deal with you know, the family and all that sort of thing the next couple days. Then this weekend, uh, a friend of mine, I know I'm just depressing the daylights out of you here. <laughs> it will get better here in, in a second. I'll, but sometimes life's like that, isn't it? And uh, a friend of mine, I've known her for 16 years, she, Carol Hansen, she goes to church here. 
uh, has been involved in a lot of ministries. On Sunday, she's riding her bike with her husband and getting off the bike. Her foot just kind of slipped as she's getting off and then she couldn't get, the, the bike went down a hill and ran into a tree and she broke her neck and is, is paralyzed from the neck down. Just like that, a, a slip of the foot. It's just, it's just nuts. Uh, she has had an operation and, and it's remarkable how she and her husband Larry are handling this. But... Uh, uh, and the doctors are optimistic. She's got some feeling coming back in her hands and, and feet, and so it, they're hoping it won't be total paralysis. But you, you just, it, you know, there are times where it's like, okay, enough. You know, Lord, come back right now, all right? Uh, it, it just gets painful. It's like a world of pain. And then my other daughter had a, f- a friend in, in high school whose, whose cousin was over in Iraq, and they reported that he got killed on Saturday. And then on top of that, there's a lot of little things that really seem trivial by comparison. But when you're in like a, a, a season of pain, even the little stuff starts driving you crazy. Have you noticed that? And um, so I'm telling you, everything I've touched the last week has broken. It's, it, it, it's, it's uncanny. My computer crashed. And I live on my computer. My computer, maybe God's curing me of my idolatry. I... I, I all I need is my computer. I'm under this deadline. Me and Paul Eddie are under this deadline uh, with his publisher that we're really late on, and, and he's breathing down our neck, and he's really mad at us when we've got six weeks to get this thing done, or, or it's going to be really, really bad. And I, So I, I, my computer crashes. I take it to the computer doctor store, and, and the guy says, well, we've got to send it out. It's going to be two weeks. Two weeks. I go, two weeks. Put a gun to my head right now and, 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 and spare me, all right? <laughs> I don't have two weeks, but I have no choice. And then... So I get a rental computer and I try to download my stuff on this rental computer and that goes wrong and everything I do goes wrong. It's just been one thing after another and it's, when you have weeks like that, you read a verse like this, Christ reigns on high, all opposition's been defeated, he's victorious, the devil's been defeated, Christ fills everything in every way and you ask, you say, you've got to be kidding me. It doesn't seem like there's even that much improvement. Christ is supposed to be conquering. He's supposed to reign. He's supposed to overcome sin, death, and the grave. But it seems to me that sin, death, and the grave are still pretty much alive and well. And the devil seems like he's pretty much alive and well. The opposition, the fallenness of the world still seems like it's going full steam. How do you make sense out of this stuff that Christ now reigns on high, victorious, and all things like that? I remember talking to a Jewish rabbi uh, I used to teach a class on world religions and I had a rabbi come and talk and we got into a discussion about Jesus Christ and I gave him all my solid, good, irrefutable reasons for believing in Jesus, my arguments from history. And he, he said, a real nice guy, he, he said, you know, those are good arguments. I can't really respond to most of those arguments, but I've got one, uh, one objection that to me is the deal breaker and that's this. When, uh, when the Messiah comes, he's supposed to save the world. I don't see the world being saved. Uh, I, I, it seems to me we still have as many wars as we've ever had. Kids are still starving to death. We still have all this conflict. Where's the evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord? You say he reigns on high. You say he's seated far above all principalities and powers. Where's the evidence for that? And at this season of my life, I think that's a pretty good objection. So I've become a Buddhist. So God bless you. <laughs> Okay, there is an answer. That's what I want to deal with here. How, how do we make sense out of this? How, 
I want to believe Gabriel was telling the truth when he gave Mary that promise. On the other hand, i got to be real with you, and the world doesn't look like it's manifesting the reign of Christ. How do you make sense out of this? The answer is found in what's sometimes called the realized eschatology of the New Testament, or what I've called the already not yet tension, or the already not yet dynamic. Now follow me on this, put on your thinking caps. This is going to be a, we'll see a very important point, not just to make sense out of the world, but it has some real direct application to our life. There's a difference between something being true in principle and something being true as manifested fact. All right? Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Becky, cut the lights. And then Greg said, let there be light. (laughs) Now, you would probably say that uh, the lights came on. The room was full of light when Becky turned on the lights. When she hit the switch, the room was full of light. Wouldn't you agree with that? This isn't rocket science. The answer is yes. It's an instantaneous thing. The room is full of light when Becky hits the light switch. And yet, actually, there was an interval of time between when she hit the light switch and when the room was filled with light. It took a nanosecond for the, elect- for the, the ele- electrical current from the light switch to get to the lights, and it took another fraction of a nanosecond for the light to fill the room. Light travels at about 186,000 miles per second, which is very, very fast. Still, it has to travel. And so there was a period of time where the lights were on in principle, but the room was not yet full of light. If you were a, a muon, which is a very small subatomic particle, uh, it would have taken about a, a third of your entire lifetime for, that, for the light to fill this room. Muons are these particles that are created as the ultraviolet light uh, from the sun uh, interacts with our upper atmosphere. And they, they only live for a nanosecond. Uh, they, they should be able to travel in their lifetime about 600 yards going close to the speed of light. Now what's interesting is we actually discover muons uh, on the earth, even though we know they're only created up in the upper atmosphere. And it takes about six miles for them to travel that distance, which is significant because it confirms Einstein's theory of relativity that when you approach the speed of light, time slows down, which is why they can travel much farther than they should be able to travel because they're traveling so fast and their clock slows down. Isn't that just fascinating? I thought you'd want to know that. Um, but if you were a muon, which only lives for a fraction of a second, I'm guessing it would take about a third of your entire lifetime for this room to be filled with light. Becky would have turned on the switch, and if you're a muon who's stationary, not traveling close to the speed of light, you'd be saying, when's this room going to be full of light? And you'd see the photons just gradually filling out this room. Now, because we're not muons, we have a very different perspective. To us, it happens instantaneously. But from a muon's perspective, it takes a very, very long time, proving the point that there's an interval Uh, A difference between what's true in principle and what's true in fact. In principle, the light fills the room as soon as uh, Becky hits the light switch. It will be filled with light. But in fact, it takes some time to manifest that principle. Now here's how it applies to God. God experiences time differently than we do. That's not to say that God doesn't experience time. There's a lot of people out there who think that God is, that doesn't have any sequence. He doesn't have any before and after. That God is, is sort of in this frozen eternity where he experiences all facts simultaneously throughout eternity. Plato thought that. Aristotle thought that for a bunch of misguided reasons. But that's not a biblical perspective. The God of the Bible is an interacting God. He's an interpersonal God. He's a dynamic God. He, he responds to us. We pray, and he, then he answers the prayer, and there's this, this give and take, this shimmy, this dance between God and humanity throughout history. 
So God's not uh, non-sequential. A lot of people think that, but it's just not a biblical view of, of God. But God doesn't measure time the way we do. Uh, we have a muon perspective on reality, and God, God has, if you will, an adult perspective on reality. Uh, God's been around a long, long time, uh, like forever. And so for God, any segment of history, any amount of time is infinitesimally small. Think about that. So for God, the, the creation of the world and the fall of the world and Jesus coming into the world, saving the world, wanting a bride, and then the acquisition of the bride and the bringing of the kingdom, boom, it happens like that. Almost instantaneously, as, as fast as the light fills this room, from God's perspective, that's how fast all this occurs. He creates the world, now he's got a bride. But we're muons. And so from our perspective, it's like taken a long, long time. And so we live in this in-between, what's true in principle uh, and what's true in fact, but the already and the not yet, it's already true, but we don't yet see, it's not yet manifested. We live in this in-between stage. And the Bible speaks about it in different ways because it talks from different perspectives. So it says this in, in 2 Peter, for example, a day with, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, which is poetry. You can't take it literally. Uh, if, if you take it literally, it's a contradiction. But as poetry, he's simply saying that uh, God experiences time different than we do. For God, it's instantaneous. For us, muons, it's taking a very long time. Applying that to this issue, it's like this. In, in principle, light has been turned on, but we don't yet see the world full of his light. In principle, Christ has been seated on high, but we don't yet see it perfectly manifested in the world. In principle, the devil's been defeated, but we don't yet see that manifested as fact. From our Muon perspective, it hasn't yet happened. In principle, all opposition's been defeated. In principle, sin, death, and the grave have been defeated. But we, from our Muon perspective, don't yet see this manifested as fact throughout the world. Now, here's why this is important, among other reasons. We need to be balanced in our theology. And if we don't balance the already and the not yet, we, 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 weird things happen. For example, some people, are, they overemphasize the already. They take all these passages about, passages about how Christ is reigning victorious and he's seated on high and all of that. And they emphasize that and minimize the not yet part. And so they end up with really a... Uh, an unrealistic theology, uh, sometimes like a Pollyanna theology. For example, I've talked to people who, who uh, you know, they, they have issues with my warfare theology. If you, it's hard to believe, I know, but some, some people have issues. <laughs> and they, the response I've had is, is this. They're saying, look, it, you give way too much credit to the devil, this idea that we've got to engage in spiritual warfare and that the devil's screwing up nature and all that stuff. No, 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 because my Bible says that Christ has defeated the devil. My Bible says he reigns on high. My Bible says that he's victorious. Uh, and so the devil's been defeated. We don't have to worry about the devil anymore. You see, it's true that Christ has done all that in principle, but he hasn't yet manifested it all as fact, not from our Muon perspective. And one of the ways we, we, we see it manifested as fact is when we get involved in the warfare and apply what is true in principle to make it fact in our life. But see, if you think it's already fact, manifested fact, well, then you just sort of sit back and like, oh, there's no more devil, and we don't have to worry about that. I've met people who, who, who say, since the Bible says Christ has conquered uh, uh, sickness, that therefore we're, ne we're never sick. And even if they are sick, they'll say they're not sick because they want to give the Bible more credibility than their own experience. Uh, now, so far as I can see, everybody who's ever believed that 
has been refuted by the fact that they died because the Bible also says he's conquered death, but everybody still dies. Uh, you would think that that would convince them of, but anyways. Uh, so you, you get imbalanced. I, I met one guy one time who says, since, since Jesus has conquered sin, I don't have any sin, even though he's got a lot of sin. And so what he says is, like, it's sin from my perspective, but from God's perspective, there is no sin. And uh, so God doesn't see my sin, which is a really convenient theology if you want to hang on to your sin. Uh, but see, do you see the imbalance that happens? And then there are people who overemphasize the not yet. They don't emphasize enough the already. And these are people who are kind of fatalistic. They're just like, well, you know, until Jesus comes, there's not much we can do. <laughs> I'm just going to have this old sin nature I got to deal with, and the world's just going to be kind of a yucky place. I hope, uh, when the Lord comes back, it'll all be better. But until then... We just got to wait here in the waiting room of misery and, and hopefully it comes. You know, no, no, because he, he has in principle already accomplished this. And, and believing that, hanging on to that, is, and living it out, applying it to our life is one of the ways that we increasingly manifest it as fact throughout the cosmos. We need to be balanced. Now, since I'm always balanced, I'll give you the balanced perspective here. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> There's two principles I want to I, I apply this to our life in two ways. Two ways. Number one, we're called to live the already in the midst of the not yet. In fact, this is our central job as kingdom people. We're called to live the already in the midst of the not yet. We're called to manifest the reign of God in the present. We're, someday the creation will manifest what it looks like when God's loving character reigns throughout the cosmos, but the job, the central job, the central task, the central calling of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to manifest now the reality of what it looks like when God reigns in a life. Someday God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but our job is to manifest that reality now. Our job is to show the world what's coming in the future. Our job is to be the future in the present. And so far as it's possible, our job is to manifest what's coming in the cosmos Gandhi said this, as I noted several months ago when I, when I preached a sermon along these lines. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. That really captures sort of the essence of, of, of Christian discipleship. Our job, knowing what's coming, our job is to be it right now. To, to, to be a manifestation of the kingdom now. Uh, Knowing that, 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 that it's coming down the road, our job is in the, in the midst of the not yet world to, to be the change, uh, to be the change that God wants to see in the world, to be the change that we know is going to be coming in the world, to be that now, to as much as possible, make it the center of our life, to manifest the truth of who God is and the truth of, of, of where the creation's going by how we live, by how we think, by everything that we do, to manifest that right now. And see, it's it's by means of that, when we manifest the already in the midst of the not yet, that's how God moves the world forward in bringing the already into the not yet. Are you following this? It, it, it's when we manifest the beauty of the kingdom. We are like the light photons that are filling out the room. But by us shining, the room gets lighter. This is how God is accomplishing uh, his, his will on earth as it is in heaven. The central call of a kingdom person is to be that now. We don't need to stand over the world. We don't need to judge the world. We don't need to be condemning people. We don't need to be standing on moral platforms, hollering at them and getting mad at them. We just have to be the change that God wants to see in the world. Be the change that we know is coming in the world. Let your light shine. 
Just integrate your thought and your emotion and your life with the, the, the truth of, of uh, who Christ is and what he's done. This is why, as I said several months ago, that the Bible calls us first fruits. First fruits. Uh, when the Israelites would go, uh, you know, when the harvest was beginning to ripen, they'd take the fruit that was ripened first and they'd pick it and they'd offer that to God. And it was for them the promise that more is coming. It was, it was as it were, the down payment. This is the, uh, a testimony that God has been faithful and, and, and we're going to have a harvest again this year. The Bible three times calls, new, uh, it calls disciples of Jesus first fruits. We're first fruits. Uh, there's more coming. There's going to be a cosmic harvest that's coming down the road. Our job is to show what that harvest is going to look like. And therefore, to put everything out of our life that is inconsistent with that coming harvest, uh, harvest and to manifest everything that, that is consistent uh, with that coming harvest. Someday, Christ will reign as Lord. Our job is to manifest that lordship right now. Someday, God's love will reign throughout the cosmos. Our job is to manifest that love right now. Someday, love will overcome all evil, and so our job is to, as the Bible tells us, to not retaliate against evil, but to have love overcome evil right now. Someday there'll be no more violence in the creation, and our job, therefore, is to purge our lives of violence now. Uh, someday there'll be no, when the kingdom comes, there'll be no more separation among people groups based on their ethnicity or, or culture or socioeconomic status, which is why in the, in the body of Christ now, our job is to get rid of that now, to be heaven on earth right now, to be God's will done on earth as it is in heaven right now. Someday there'll be peace throughout the world, so our, our job is to manifest as first fruits to manifest that peace now. Someday the entire cosmos will be reconciled to God, so our job is to be reconciled now and to put off everything in our life that's inconsistent with heaven. Pretend like it, heaven's already here. <laughs> Live that way. That, that's what the Bible is saying. So Paul says this in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. That's that old, that old creation, the, the creation that operates under the lie, that, that, that acts and thinks and feels as though Christ isn't Lord. No, put off that old self. That old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. An interesting phrase. The old self, you see, it desires so many things and it deceives us because it tells us we need things that we don't need. In fact, it, it tells us we, 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 we need things that are bad for us. And our, our job is to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self by the renewing of your mind. Put on that new self. Be the first fruits. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is, is, is within you. Uh, wanting to show forth the future in the, in, the, in the present. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You've got free will and you still can. Uh, but don't yield to the Holy Spirit instead of re resisting the Holy Spirit. What, what that looks like is you get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage and anger, get rid of brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, everything in your life that's about bitterness and retaliation and anger and violence. Uh, be, be constantly putting it off. Because it won't be in heaven, don't have it now. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There won't be any malice in heaven, so get rid of it now. There won't be any, more petty, there won't be any pettiness in heaven, get rid of it now. 
Won't be any violence in heaven, so you get rid of it now. Won't be any uh, rebellion against God in heaven, so stop being rebellious now. Uh, manifest what is true in your life right here and right now. It's the central call of uh, the disciple. We're to be the already in the midst of the not yet. Live as though heaven had already happened, because in principle it already has. And the way we're going to manifest it as fact is by living in what, what's true in principle in our lives right here and right now. This is also, by the way, the primary reason why we, we passionately pray for healing. Uh, healing isn't just for your sake, though it is for that. But see, when, when, what we want is someday the creation will be free of all sickness, so we come against sickness now. Someday I'll be free of all infirmities, so we come, come against infirmities now. We want to see as much of the future manifested in the present as, as we can. And so our job is to passionately push forward in that direction. Live the already in the midst of the not yet. The second principle is this. Savor the already in the midst of the not yet. We're, we're called to live passionately uh, the already in the midst of the not yet. But see... As muons, the muons that we are, we still live in a world that's pretty much not yet. And so at the end of the day, we have to concede that the world is still full of a lot of sin, and the world's still full of a lot of tragedy, isn't it? Sometimes more than others, but it's always there. And last I checked, the world's still full of violence and still full of war. It's still full of death. It's still full of hatred. It's still full of starvation. It's still full of news stories that are hard to even hear when you find out stuff that's going on in the world. We're called to fight that, to come against every ounce of that, but to do it in a Christ-like way, for, with love overcoming evil, in a Calvary way. Through prayer and through how we live, we come against every aspect of creation that is not consistent with the will of God to bring it consistent with the will of God. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's the center of our life. That's why we exist. That's what we're called to do. But it's still there. And the question is, how do you deal with that? How, how can you stay encouraged? Do some of you feel this sometimes? How do you stay encouraged? How do you stay optimistic in a world that is this jaded? And one of the ways that we do it is by savoring the already in the, middle, in the midst of the not yet. Just knowing that this world is temporary, that the pain is temporary, that it won't always be like this, uh, can encourage your heart to go on and can comfort your heart in the midst of the pain that you're, 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 you're a part of. You can deal with just about anything if you know it's coming to an end. St. Teresa of Avia, a mystic saint in the Middle Ages, said this. And when I first read this, and I don't even know where I got it. I couldn't find the quote. Whoa. Uh, but um, I, I didn't really agree with it. But now that I think about it, I do agree with it. She goes, whatever shall be well, or whatever will eventually be well, is well already. Whatever will be well is well already. Think about that. Now, she's not saying that everything's hunky-dory and there's no problems and everything's fine. She's not recommending a kind of Pollyanna Christianity where it's like, oh, the world's a wonderful place. No, uh, she's not saying that. But what she's saying is this, that when you know, when you really believe, when you have faith that it's going to ultimately be okay, in fact, more than okay, it's going to be beautiful, knowing that can give you that peace that passes understanding. Knowing that can, can bring comfort and encouragement to the heart in the midst of what you're going, to, going through. We're called to, when I say savor the already in, in, in the midst of the not yet, savor heaven. 
get a dream, get a vision of what the world will look like when, in fact, Christ's lordship is manifested, when love is manifested, when peace is manifested, when all that's inconsistent with the beauty of God revealed in Christ, when all of that is done away with. Get a dream and hold that in, 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 in your mind. Someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Someday all of creation will be reconciled with God. Someday God's love will fill all things. Already in principle, he fills all things everywhere as the text says but someday that will be manifested and it's going to be gorgeous it's going to be beautiful and knowing that savoring that at least it, hel it helps me keep on going and, and it doesn't it shouldn't cause us to be lethargic and saying oh someday it's going to happen no you know the room's going to get filled with light and as a photon you you want to help spread that light uh, you know that the creation is going to be restored, and that ought to impassion us. The certainty of God's victory should impassion us more to be activists, revolutionaries, as we seek to carry out that, 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 that kingdom here and now. Someday we'll see the truth of Romans chapter 8, that in all things God's working for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I, I can't get my mind around this one very easily, but what it's telling me is that I'll be able to look back and I'll be able to see how even the painful things work to my advantage. Uh, how God says in Ephesians 1, he's going to bring all things together in Christ. Somehow he's going to weave this whole thing. He, the stuff that happens that he despises, he hates. It's not part of his plan. But when it happens, he makes it part of a plan where he weaves it together. And someday, someday when his kingdom comes... Even the nasty stuff is going to be somehow woven together into this beautiful tapestry. I don't know how. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but I do know this. The eye hasn't seen and the ear hasn't heard and it's never entered in the heart of a human being the things which God has in store for those who love him. And, and it, so it tells me this, that however beautiful I think it is, it's way beyond that. It's just a sign that you're heading in the right direction. When, when we muons can step out of our small muon story and live in the big story, live in the eternal story, it, it does something to us. It encourages us, it motivates us, and it can give us a peace that passes all understanding. Live the already in the midst of the not yet and savor the already in the midst of the not yet. So I'll close with this. I, I was back at the computer doctor store after, after all this painful stuff had been going on and my computer crashed and nothing's working and everything I touch is breaking, including my, my, my tape deck in, in my, or my CD in, in the car. All of a sudden stops working, everything, everything. So I'm, I'm not in the best place and I, I'm back at the store and I'm waiting in line. It's an incredible line. It, 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 there's four people there. There's one person who's in charge of taking care of all of us. And I'm convinced they don't know what they're doing. And this one lady is already taking like a half hour. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm sitting holding my computer. I've got a simple question, uh, which I thought was simple, but it turns out it wasn't simple at all. But I'm waiting in line and it's going nowhere. And, and I, I, I just stop and I look at this and I could get really angry and frustrated and, and disturbed. But as you step out of your little Muon perspective and look at the big story, look at the big picture, in that moment at this store, all of a sudden everything became almost funny. <laughs> Do you, have you ever had that happen where it's like you hit a, you hit a point of ridiculousness? And I'm not saying that you know, the, the tragic things were funny, but there's a certain, when you live in the big story, everything becomes so incredibly small. Do you see that? It becomes very, very small. Like, 
this, this book I got to get done. How, how important is that, really? Okay, what, what if we don't get it done? What's, is the public going to shoot me? Go ahead. Do me a favor. Uh, what if the book never got published? Oh, why, 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 why? Like, you know, th- th- this book is that important. God may use it. God may not. You know, that's God's issue, not mine. I just enjoy writing it. And that's why I wrote it. Uh, but he, he, I think the cosmos will survive even if the book doesn't get published. It's not the end of the world. And, and even if it was, the world goes on in a different realm. So there's really nothing to worry about. As I'm looking at it, everything becomes very, and I actually begin to giggle. It's like, uh, everything starts to look funny. I'm looking at this television show as I'm waiting in line for an hour, which is going nowhere. And I just start to like giggle. And I'm looking around, I'm blessing people and I'm giggling. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what? Life, there's a certain comfort you get when you realize that you're just a Muon. And you're a significant Muon. God uses you. But, but really, uh, everything, everything about our Moan existence, it, it, it's, it's, it's a quarter of an inch deep. And there's a freedom that comes with that. It means, okay, you know, I want to actively advance the kingdom, but I don't need to take ownership for all of it happening. I don't need to get stressed out about stuff. Um, you flow with it. You flow with it. And there's this peace that passes understanding. I leave you with these two principles. Number one, Make it your life aspiration to live the already in the midst of the not yet. Heaven has happened. It's here. The light has been turned on. Our job is to be the photons that spread that throughout the, the, the auditorium. I hope you're getting that analogy. Be a revolutionary. Be an activist. Don't be one of these who just sort of wait for the, for the not yet to, to finally come around. No. Our job is to move forward to bring about the already in the, in the not yet. So be an activist. But secondly, I know there are people out here who, right, who are listening to me right now who have had maybe weeks like I've had, maybe far worse than what I've had. Uh, if you're Carol Hansen listening to me right now, your week's been unbelievably worse than anything I've been through. Uh, tragedies happen. Loved ones die. Life is so contingent and transitory. A slip of the foot. And you were healthy one second, and then you're paralyzed the next. That's, the, that's how it is in this war zone. I encourage you, if you're in that situation or dealing with people in that situation, to step out of your Muon perspective. Uh, Look at the big story. Live in the big story, not the small story. And let that comfort your heart. Savor the already in the midst of the not yet. Let it bring a peace that passes understanding. Whatever, Whatever shall eventually be well is well already. And someday it's all gonna be well. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Can't answer all the questions. But someday... Paul goes so far as to say that the present sufferings, which are formidable, are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which God has in store for those who love him. Uh, Don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Let the peace that passes understanding be with you. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer, but I'll say this before we move do that. Uh, the prayer team will be up here, and if you're in a situation where you need prayer for comfort or prayer for something going on in your life, or really prayer for anything, we encourage you to come forward and spend some time in prayer. Uh, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to the King of Kings, you're not a part of this kingdom that I've been talking about, I encourage you to come up here to my right, your left, where it says next step. Uh, there'll be a person who would love to explain to you uh, what that's about. It's not about being religious. It's about being a revolutionary. And I encourage you to do that if you haven't done so already. Pray with me. Father, I just pray, Lord, as we leave here, that we would have a passion to, in every way, shape, and form, with every person we come in contact with, 
to, do, to be the already in, in the midst of the not yet, to be the first fruits, to be your will on earth as it is in heaven. And God, use that to spread your kingdom. That's really all that matters. And as we leave here, Lord, I pray that the, the, the large story perspective would be ours. We'd live in that large story. Help us to see how big you are, how small everything else is, and to have our peace and our demeanor rooted in your bigness, not our smallness. Be with us now as we go forth to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one more time. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom. The altar's open.